Do keep your Bibles open there in 1 Corinthians 7. This week I will have, <clears throat> pardon me, some verses on the slide, but it's always good to have it open in front of you in the Bible that you're familiar with. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father, your word is truth and life. We pray now that you would continue to do that work in it by the reading and hearing and proclaiming of your word, uh, that each of us might live and live lives that please you through Jesus, the one who has given us life and forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, becoming a follower of Jesus is a life-changing event. And uh, for some of us, we never recall a time when we didn't trust Jesus as our Lord. And then again, there are others of us who do. But at whatever stage, uh, age or stage, both of us share, we share in this same life change. We've been moved from death to life, uh, from living with myself as king to living with Jesus as my king. Uh, but with the whole, you know, shape of life and uh, complexity and talk of change, what changes or change what? Uh, now, we keep reading 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 at this point each week. Uh, very, very helpful uh, because it tells us, it reminds us what this whole letter is about. It reminds us of our new identity the identity that every single person who trusts Jesus as Lord shares. And how does Paul speak of this in chapter 1, verse 2? He says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, this letter is all about this turn things on their head life change that God has brought through Jesus and of course the greatest change of all is that new identity uh, and if that changes well then that leads to the follow-on question how should we live now some people think becoming a Christian uh, means that anything fun has to stop <laughs> come across that view Maybe you thought it yourself. Uh, you know, heaps of rules, heaps of hoops you have to jump through. So many rules, in fact, that just trying to get through them all, you don't have any energy left to have any fun anyway. Uh, a bit of a parody, I might say, not my own view. Uh, and, and there's a whole range of things in life and you go, oh, well, is that in or out? Is drinking out? Is conflict to be avoided at all costs? Is sexual intimacy out? Are logic and reason the victims of this, some would call, intellectual suicide? Uh, all of those things are good questions and no doubt we're all working out uh, those sort of questions and their answers in our own lives. But 1 Corinthians 7 that we've been reading not only has answers but is God's word on how we think these things through. Because left to ourselves, there is this risk. In fact, you know, you read through the New Testament and it's pretty much a certainty uh, that we end up left to our own devices, changing the things that shouldn't be changed and not changing what should be. Uh, and it's high stakes too. 
you only have to look at today's reading, uh, but go back through 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 4. It was, it was how they hadn't changed from a worldly view, a, a view that they'd had before God transformed their lives in, in viewing leaders and themselves. In chapters 5 and 6, they hadn't changed uh, by rejecting sexual immoral, immorality among themselves. And in chapter 7, 1 to 11 that we looked at last week, how they had changed and shouldn't have away from sexual intimacy in marriage. And now in our reading today, uh, when one had become a follower of Jesus in a marriage and their spouse had not, contemplating leaving their marriages. And so it's, it's apparent straight away with the importance of relationships and uh, how important they are to us, whether single or married, that the stakes are high. But this is where 1 Corinthians 7 is so helpful uh, because uh, in the midst of all this, Paul gives a very important principle. Uh, in verses 17 to 24, uh, Paul, who is authorised by Jesus, he is a spokesperson of God, he says, being holy doesn't need you to change your situation, your social situation. Or to put it another way, Remain in the situation in which you were called. So, uh, while our reading started at verse 8, overlapping with last week, we're going to actually start here in 17 to 24 at the principle and then come back to see how it works out before verse 17 and next week we'll do after verse 25. Uh, and, and did you notice what was repeated when uh, we heard it read out? at uh, three times in verses 17 to 24. Let me uh, uh, read it for us again. Verse 17, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Then in the middle, verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And then at the end, verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. As to what that looks like, uh, well, uh, it's helpful to get our minds around calling first. What is God's calling? Now, down through the years, Christians have talked a lot about call, uh, from what I can observe, and no doubt this passage and how it's been uh, read has had an influence in it as well. But in my experience, people more often associate uh, God's calling with guidance from God, with making decisions uh, uh, before God. So, for example, many talk about a call to ministry or to preaching or to leading in the church. Uh, others, you know, it doesn't have to just be that, a, a churchy thing, a spiritual thing. People talk about uh, having a calling to a particular job or work or interest. Uh, have you ever heard the term vocation? By the way, uh, you, know, you know, Alison set you all on edge earlier saying she was going to ask you questions. That's the only question I think I'm asking you. So you did the right thing, Alison, but they all froze in their seats. Uh, yeah, vocation is just another word for calling. Actually, that's a second question. I may ask you some rhetorical questions. Uh, so if you search through the New Testament, 
uh, you can't find calling being used like that. That's a way of talking that's actually arisen since then and in church history and for various reasons. Uh, go back to chapter 1, verse 9, and you'll see the heart of calling. 1, verse 9. Oh, 7, one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, and I've written the wrong verse on there. So it's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so calling is something that God does to us. We don't choose it or do it but what are we called to it's to be in fellowship to be united with the son the lord jesus and so that's what happens throughout the new testament people are called from death and judgment to life and eternity with his son so we are called when we are when we hear and receive that message but once called the response remains the same, to live the way God wants us to live. That is, not to save ourselves or to impress God, but in gratefulness because he has saved us. Following and trusting Jesus means we've been called. We're not called to other things, but the effects of the first calling are always with us. And verse 20 and 24 remove some of the uh, possible confusion that verse 17 might bring. Uh, and so, look, I'll just put up verse 20. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them, okay, in the past for those who trust Jesus. A quick aside here, and you might notice uh, me doing this already, the words we use shape how we think, for better or for worse. Uh, and so let me encourage you to use uh, the biblical meaning of words uh, when we're talking about different aspects of our life under God and particularly here with calling. In this case, uh, talking about it as being transformed from death to life rather than a guidance view of calling which actually isn't in our Bibles. Which you do will reinforce how you think and how you view God and yourself uh, as we live out the new life we have in Christ. The point is, when you ask, what does holy living look like? Uh, now I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, the answer is, as to your place in relationships and society, it doesn't need to change at all. Now, Paul shows uh, next the sort of circumstances he's talking about. Uh, and he does it with two huge cultural divides that the Corinthian church would have been all too aware of. The first, between Jews and non-Jews, it's there in, from verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Now, I'm not sure if you, when you woke up this morning, you thought we were going to be talking about this in church. Uh, and you might even read it and it says, it, it almost sounds like he's making a joke. You know, someone's circumcised, uh, becoming uncircumcised. But, but do put yourself in uh, Paul and his first reader's shoes. 
before Jesus and in the Old Testament, circumcision was God's sign to the Jews that they were his people. And it was a huge deal for them. And yet on the other, when you consider business and social life in the Roman world took place in gymnasia and baths where you were naked, it, it made those who were stand out in a world full of non-Jewish men. So that was a real thing. Uh, but the early Christians, like those in Corinth, would have faced pressure from an even uh, uh, more significant direction as well, which was, since Jesus was a Jew and came to fulfil God's promises to the Jews, there was this huge pressure, and you see it written throughout the New Testament, uh, this question of, do we, are we meant to take on Jewish religious customs like this one? But what does Paul say? It doesn't matter. That's not where your identity comes from. Stay as you are. There isn't some more spiritual significance, whether you're one or the other. Neither is more holy than the other, and so don't change. But what counts? Keeping God's commands is what counts. And we need to, we need to keep remembering that we don't just think of Jesus as our saviour, as good as that is, but he's our He's our Lord who saves, and as Lord, uh, he rules. And so if we're going to place our trust in him and be transformed by him, then at, at our heart, our heart attitude has been changed so that we recognise he's in charge rather than we being in charge. And it's shown in what we do. And in the case there's any doubt, it's clear here that our cultural background, making ourselves Jewish if we're not or non-Jew if we were, that's not on God's agenda at all. And we can remain in whatever life uh, or social context we find ourselves in when we became a Christian because it's wrong to think one place or another is uh, better or makes it easier to follow the king, whichever place you're in. That's where God wants you to be obedient and follow him. Now, I think there's one glaring question that may be in your mind at this point. I hope, I hope it is, uh, which is, does that mean you can just do anything? You know, if you're, if you're already doing uh, something uh, that God has said is ungodly or unholy, that you can keep doing it. And, of course, the answer is no, that that's not what this is saying so you only have to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we read a few weeks ago verses 9 and 10 which speaks of the thief and the greedy and the adulterer and the sexually immoral and it's saying no 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 that does need to change okay so we need God's word to shape and uh, enable us uh, to know what should change and what needn't change Verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. There's a second cultural divide that you come to in verse 21. Uh, were you a slave when you were called? Uh, don't, don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Now, we don't come across uh, slaves ourselves very often, 
Now, that's not to say it doesn't happen uh, or isn't widespread. Uh, but what's he getting at? Whether you're a slave or free, whatever your social status, that doesn't count for anything in God's eyes. That's not your identity. What actually counts is there in verse 22 and 23. You uh, have been bought by God. Now that is a picture that we keep coming across in our Bibles, isn't it? And where we were, as we were told, in bondage to sin and living as enemies of God, he bought us at a great price. The cost of his own dear son's death in our place on the cross. And so what that means is if you find yourself at the bottom of the social heap, uh, wherever you find uh, uh, yourself relative to other people in your community in your relationships in our world in God's eyes when you trust Jesus you've been elevated to the most privileged place through a relationship with him well that also means if you're a Christian you find yourself at the top of the social heap don't be fooled into thinking that you are your own in fact, God freed you to be Christ's slave. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a contradiction. We were made by God to serve. So life works when we serve him rather than ourselves. We've been set free to serve. Social status counts for nothing. Changing your social position uh, doesn't cut it any differently in God's eyes and it doesn't make it any easier for you to live as a Christian so be happy to stay where you are now of course he says you know Paul makes this clarification if you're a if you're a slave and you can be free well take hold of the opportunity you're welcome to do so but do it in the knowledge uh, and freedom that it's not essential so uh, here is the headline uh, for the first half of what we're looking at this morning, verses 17 to 24, remain in the situation in which you were called. Now, uh, the social status thing is uh, a question that's interesting for us, isn't it? It's, birth, it's worth a bit of a think of the wider implications of that. Uh, do we think if we had more money or a better house or more respect from those around us that that would allow us to excel in godliness? A sort of Christian version of the world around us with a pious twist? Uh, or on the other hand, if we had less money, a smaller home, were less known by others and that that would allow us to be more godly? The thing is, God has called us to live for him wherever we are now with the uh, verses 17 to 24 in our quiver like i said two parts to what we're looking at today i expect we can see uh, how it plays out in the situations related to marriage uh, from verse 8 to 16. if you are married stay married and if you are single stay single so we looked at the first two of these last week and uh, you'll be aware that we're not trying to deal with every nuance and every situation here. Uh, and uh, if today brings up things for you that you would like to talk about more, do 
feel very free to come and talk with me or talk with David or talk with your growth groups or growth group leader uh, because we can't cover every individual situation but Paul is teaching us how to approach all situations in the way he uh, thinks about God's word uh, and putting it into practice. So we looked at the first two last week. I'm just going to recap them quickly. Uh, The first one uh, uh, was from verse 8. Shouldn't those who are widowed stay unmarried? And what does he say? Uh, uh, Sorry, widow, yeah, I've put it that way up there. Um, Should the widowed get married? And what does he say? Staying single is good, but it's not more spiritual. In fact, verse 9, marrying can be better if it prevents you from giving in to sexual immorality. Then there's a second question uh, they're faced with. Uh, uh, Should the married separate? His answer is no. He's talking to Christians, married to Christians here. That's clear because of where we get to in the third question. But his point is becoming a Christian doesn't weaken our commitment to others. If anything, it strengthens our commitment to others. And God's good plan for marriage is for it to be a lifelong union. Now, it won't always be so, and there are circumstances which can change that, uh, be it adultery or abuse or abandonment, but we each have the responsibility uh, that we are acting in a godly way in our marriages. Now, I take it, reading as we are 1 Corinthians 7 today, these may be hard words to hear particularly if you're doing it tough in your marriage right now or in your singleness. They may be hard to hear if you're a Christian and you've already been divorced. Uh, But don't hear me say divorce is the unforgivable sin if it's already part of your experience. And not everyone who's divorced had a choice in the matter. Let me remind you also that we live in a a fallen and sinful and broken world uh, and we want to encourage one another to be safe uh, and to avoid those situations where people are treated poorly and wrongly and abusively. Uh, As we depend on God... Uh, Where we have sinned, we can depend on his forgiveness in that. But do hear this word from God. If you're married, as much as you, uh, your godliness has a say in it, stay married. Then we come to the third question. uh, And this takes it a step further. Uh, How did I write it up there? Thank you. Uh, Should the married to someone who's a Christian, who's married to someone who's not a Christian separate. Now let's just sit with this uh, for a moment. Uh, The Corinthians uh, in the Corinthian church were becoming Christians Uh, and people are still becoming Christians today. We we know people who've become Christians. We've become Christians at some point or other Uh, and in our church people become Christians and where uh, people are married we would love uh, husbands and wives to both Uh, turn and trust in Jesus Uh, but we know that it doesn't always happen that way and remember chapter 6 talking about sexual intimacy out of marriage outside of marriage Uh, 
because of what Paul was saying there, someone who's a Christian, who's married to someone who's not a Christian, might actually be thinking, well, in the same way that Paul talked in chapter 6 of not joining uh, the members of Christ uh, with the world, that that, that applies here. Uh, so it's an appropriate question, and that's why Paul's answer is so important. But what he says is, is no. Uh, if one of us is married and has become a Christian, if we trust in the Lord Jesus and live with him as our king, remain married and just as committed to your spouse. Have a quick look at some of the details. In verse 12, Paul gives these words. Uh, he puts it as his judgment in contrast to the words Jesus of Jesus he quoted in verse 10. Uh, it's this bit where you see in the brackets in verse 10 and verse 12. Uh, that's not to say they disagree. He's simply saying, well, you know, we read Matthew 19 and we heard what Jesus said there, uh, but he didn't say anything in particular about this, but Paul is his authorised spokesman. His words are the word of God as much as those recorded of Jesus in the gospel. In fact, they're all the words of Christ. So it's not any less true. It's just a, a, a function of this is where things were at in church history. And his point is the same. Divorce and separation are not God's best for marriage. If you've made a commitment, remaining married, uh, where one of you is a Christian and the other isn't, uh, isn't disobedient, it isn't less spiritual, and it is uh, not less holy. You still have the same identity of being holy before God. And there's an extraordinary reason that he goes on to say that that's the case and one which I think uh, messes with our heads a bit. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife uh, uh, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Uh, it's the talk of sanctification and holiness that does our heads in a bit here, I expect. And, and they're words that come up uh, throughout uh, the Bible and the New Testament. Uh, and as we know uh, from the rest of the Bible, each of us has an individual responsibility uh, to turn back to God. And so sanctification can't mean that, well, if you're married to someone who's a Christian, you'll catch it in the same way you might catch the flu. Uh, although some people have been worried about that. Uh, but, but what he's saying, uh, and it, it picks up on a pattern in the Old Testament where, you know, the Old Testament talks about things being uh, considered unclean and clean and holy, and if anything holy is in contact with the, the unclean, then it becomes unclean. And someone might actually be thinking at this point, well, if, if I'm in this marriage to a person who doesn't trust Jesus in the same way I do, then maybe I'm not holy uh, because of the Old Testament pattern. But what he's actually saying here is, no, it actually works the other way. Uh, sanctification in the Bible is one of those words that you really have to look at the context. It can be talking about when you become a Christian. It can be talking about now you're a Christian growing more mature in Jesus. And it is even used about Jesus' return when we will see... Uh, 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 our changed lives in all their fullness. So here, I think he's, he's talking about this situation of uh, uh, whether it's appropriate or inappropriate uh, to stay married. 
So what might this look like with uh, uh, real people or imaginary real people, as I'm going to use uh, here? Uh, Jeff and Sarah, they're married, they have two kids, and Sarah becomes a Christian. Uh, what effect does that have? Well, uh, she, as she lives with Jesus as her king, uh, that, that has the opportunity to spill over onto Jeff and the kids, uh, more so than their failure to be godly spill onto her. Now, of course, Sarah in this case may not end up with a choice. Uh, Jeff could leave. What is she to do then? Well, if, if it's because she's become a Christian, she should allow him to go. Uh, she shouldn't hunt him down or make his life miserable. Uh, we are called to peace. And as hard as it may be for the follower of Jesus, uh, if not their spouse, if the spouse who doesn't follow Jesus isn't willing to stay married to you, Paul says, let them go. And do you see what's assumed here? Uh, if it comes to this for you, it's remain in your circumstances. It's more important to remain a Christian and to depend on God than to chuck him in for the sake of your spouse who refuses to believe. Which, depending on your situation, I mean, that's a challenging word from God to hear, isn't it? But our commitment to Christ could overrule our commitment to our spouse if they're no longer willing to live with us. It can be such a challenge. And uh, there, there are those among us who have faced these challenges. Really, depending on where you find yourself, being godly in these can be hard and painful work. And I, I'm conscious of those among us who face all manner of uh, uh, different situations and particularly those who are married to spouses who don't share their trust. And if you're one of them, we want to uphold you in prayer and in our friendship and in our fellowship. And here's this final word in verse 16. How do you know, wife? whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And of course, it's not saying that you will save them, but that the impact of your godly living and obedience uh, to Jesus uh, in that they will see and uh, respond to the gospel as well. Let me remind you what I said earlier. This is not dealing with every circumstance. And please hear me say clearly, in cases of mistreatment and abuse and being sinned against gravely, uh, it is not saying you should remain there and be unsafe. Please talk to me if that would be helpful. The other warning, I guess, that arises from this, something else I need to say before we wrap up. Uh, Paul's talking to people here who are already married when one of them becomes a Christian. And so this isn't an, an endorsement for Christians to marry those who aren't. Uh, bringing this up, this could be contentious. There's a range of people, you know, some people will say, oh, I've heard this the whole time I've been a Christian and there's nothing new about that. And other people will say, what are you talking about? Uh, 
there's an expectation on us as Christians uh, to only marry Christians, uh, and we're reminded of it in chapter 7, verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, so marriage for life until someone dies, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, that's not the only part of the Bible that talks about this. The whole shape of the Bible drives us to see marriage as the most intimate relationship we can share with another person. It's an incredible uh, one-fleshness. As uh, Genesis 2 says, as we heard Jesus repeat in uh, Matthew 19, is sharing of our very selves. And yet, if we don't share this trust in the Lord Jesus, if we don't have that same life-changing foundation, it will bring with it extraordinary challenges and strains. Faithfulness to God brings us into conflict with the world. That's what this whole letter is about. And so why would one choose to willingly take this step where you have a choice? In fact, it's not a matter of choice, but of sin. And everything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. The extraordinary danger is that we might turn away from Christ. And the whole arc of the Bible is filled. The road is lined with the, the bodies of those who did not hear this word and live by it. And so where we have a choice, that is, we're not married. Uh, If you're a Christian, marry a Christian. If you're not a Christian, please don't marry a Christian. Uh, Marry a non-Christian as well. Uh, This is God's word to us. And if I could tell you of the hardship and the difficulty of those who have known this word from God, and yet married someone who is not a Christian anyway. And I'd have to say uh, it's more often been women, though it's not exclusively to women. Uh, Whether you are a man or a woman, spare yourself the grief. Don't put your eternal life in danger. And if you're finding it hard to be single, marrying someone who doesn't share this intimacy with Jesus will not make it any easier. Uh, Let me encourage those of you who are parents, who are raising children, and as we uh, serve you together uh, to raise our uh, children, students, young adults, uh, to be uh, thinking through, okay, what does this mean and what patterns am I uh, making part of our conversation uh, to shape our lives together? And now, uh, this is a good place to wrap up. Uh, the headline for today, be godly whatever your situation. Uh, Don't be rushing to change thinking that will make it easier to be godly uh, or that that change will solve your difficulties. Rather, be godly wherever you are. In the grace of God's kindness and his spirit at work in us and with whomever you share your situations. What counts is what God has done for us. He has bought us at a great price. And so we may be thankful. We may have great joy. We are freed to serve him. So let's honour him with how we live 
wherever he has placed us to live as followers of Christ. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, where our need was so great, you have turned our hard hearts into hearts of flesh, that you have given us hearts by your workiness and Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness he has won that may be shaped by your heart. And so we pray, keep doing that work in us. Help us to be clear as we hear your word and have our minds transformed uh, on what things must change and indeed on those things which need not change and help us to act uh, wisely in both. We pray this for ourselves, for each other, uh, and for those across all of our congregations here at our church. Amen.